0: NFL week eight line moves in sumo. We've seen a lot of movement so far this week. So let's cut right to the chase. First game on the board, the Thursday nighter Baltimore at Tampa Bay. Some interesting movement on both the side and the total. Let's start with the side in this one because we saw openers of Tampa Bay minus one and a half flip all the way to the Ravens minus two and a half. Now settling in somewhere in the middle. We see Baltimore minus one as we record this show. And I know that you're keeping a close eye on the Baltimore injury report to inform what to make of this line moving forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny that the look-ahead line was, I think, Tampa minus three last Friday across the board at all the books that have look-ahead lines the, the, the week before. And, yeah, then the Bucks got, I mean, completely uh, earth-shattering loss against the Carolina Panthers. The Ravens uh, somehow find a way to win a fourth quarter or, or, or to, to survive a fourth quarter lead against the Browns. Yeah, and all of a sudden, we are flipping through the pick'em towards Baltimore, and I think that's reflective of, A, the Buccaneers' offense looks to be kind of broken, and we don't know yet when the time will come that Brady is back on track. I think Brady isn't the big issue here, but his offensive line is not playing well, the play calling is iffy. Uh, Mike Evans um, has had a crazy drop in that game early on. Chris Godwin is uh, not at 100% yet. Russell Gage is out. Then on the on the um, defensive side, the Bucks will be without three secondary starters. Um, and most of them we, we had a good feeling about on Sunday night. So I think it was a very logical move that the, the, the early betting market pushed this number towards Ravens as a favorite. And, yeah, I, I, I mean, it depends on the um, Ravens injury report today. Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews, probably the two biggest names. It's also not clear that um, Ronnie Stanley will play. He said that it's a coach's de- decision whether he will play or not. He would be ready to go, but Coach Harbour will um, ultimately decide it. And I think this might ultimately shape our our final, final uh 100 yards to go until tomorrow night, where this line will ultimately head into. But yeah, overall, big move towards the Ravens, who seem to be the healthier side here.
0: Yeah, we have started to see a little bit of buyback trickle in on the Bucks, and we've seen a one-way mm-hmm. action in this one when it comes to the total Currently at 46 up from an opener of 43 and a half and that tick up to 46 pretty recent here as we record this Wednesday, late morning Pacific time, uh, mid evening, Suma standard time, I guess we can say. <laughs> and Suma, a total of 46 in this one, a pretty strong move up in a low scoring environment this season. It seems like people are at least putting some faith in the Bucks offense to right the ship. And that's... Raises an eyebrow for me because I know that you've documented it pretty well. They have been struggling. You referenced when we talked about the side in this one. It appears to be broken in some ways. What's up with that Bucs offense, and how do you think that factors into this game potentially delivering on the early over money that we've seen in this week's betting market?
1: Yeah, I think when we compare the Bucs offense, for example, to the Packers offense, the Packers offense, I think, have a much tougher road to fix anything because they don't have the talent. For the Bucks, they have the talent. They have Chris Godwin. They have Mike Evans. Uh, Julio Jones might be uh, will be a game time decision. Don't know whether he's going to play. But on paper, the Bucks still have Tom Brady, who's not playing bad badly, and they have a very skilled uh, receiving group. So that's a big difference um, when you compare the two to the Packers offense. I think in general, um, you can make the case that yes the Bucks are still having decent quarterback play and Chris Godwin and Julio Jones. And they're playing against a Ravens defense that has not looked very good so far this season. I think that would be the the, the positive case to be made for the Bucks' offense against the Ravens uh, defense. And on the other side, uh, it still depends on, on the Ravens injuries, but we are dealing with a cluster injury on the Tampa Bay secondary. So that, those might be some factors because... Um, that uh, early move originated uh, towards towards the over.
0: Well, continuing with the theme of a couple teams that seem to have the pieces in place from a talent perspective and have just struggled to translate that into points on the scoreboard so far this season. Sunday, the first game on the board in London, Denver taking on Jacksonville. And the side in this one has dropped down to... Plus two and a half for the Broncos. They opened as a four-point underdog. A lot of this centers around Russell Wilson and his status. It's looking like he's going to be a go for this one. But Zuma, beyond the Russell Wilson factor, both teams so far this season seemingly have stats that don't match their scoreboard output. What have you made of that, and what does that have you thinking about what we might see as far as the line movement aside in this one as Sunday approaches?
1: First of all, I think Jacob is very happy that uh, the scoreboard didn't match the Jaguars' uh, stats so far, (laughs) especially last week. Um, I saw a tweet from Benjamin Solak today, and he said that the Jaguars should get the early season award for finding creative ways to lose football games. And I think that pretty much applies across the board when you look at some of their games. Uh, for, For the Broncos, I think the Broncos are still fundamentally worse the Jaguars when you when you look at all the key metrics, there they are just not performing up to their expectation. Um, aside from the pass defense, their pass defense is absolutely nuts. It's 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 a very special unit, very cohesive. They're doing great stuff. They can be beat in the run game, but their defense, their pass defense is really good. And I think it's completely rational that the Jacks should be favored here, especially when we consider the quarterback situation. I mean, this opened minus three, went up to minus three and a half. And I think this originated because on on Sunday morning, there were rumors coming out of Denver that Russell Wilson will probably not be available for for the London game. And we also saw the look ahead number taking some money on the minus three on, on, on early Sunday morning. And I think after the reopener of minus three, some, some people were just playing DJX blindly with the information that Russell Wilson might not be available for this game. So now, during the week, we got some positive news. Russell Wilson will indeed push to play. He was limited today. Uh, he's feeling better, whatever. And then we saw that move back to two and a half. And I would not be surprised if we saw even more Denver Bunny. Then money coming the next two days if there are or if 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 the if the picture gets painted a little bit clearer for Russell Wilson to play.
0: Yeah, according to some reports, Wilson was getting in some interesting workouts during the flight over to London for the Broncos. So he's looking more and more like a go for Sunday. And Sumo, one more talking point on the side in this one: the Jags, a frequent. You know, team playing in London, they almost, I, I've heard, I think Rex Byers said that he gives the Jags a stronger home field advantage in this one in London than he typically would for a true home game in Jacksonville. Any thought as to how home field advantage might shake out, even though this one is technically being played at a neutral site?
1: I would agree with the Rex, but it's more so that the opposing team will not have a stronger home field advantage. Than the Jaguars uh, actually having a great home field advantage because I mean last Sunday Jacob will uh, have enjoyed that but I mean the stadium was full of Giants fans and it's it's it, on some downs downs it uh, almost felt like a home game for the Giants and this is something that will not happen in London like zero chance Denver Broncos fans will not travel that well to London. Uh, most of the tickets go to European fans and in fact um, uh, Jaguars-based UK fans. So this will be a completely different story now. The true home field advantage might be much closer to zero than people people anticipate, but I think it's still um, a difference when you go from a basically road game in your home stadium to a neutral London side where there are supposed to be more Jaguars fans in general.
0: Sounds good. Well, from a neutral site to a game with a true home field edge, the Saints hosting the Raiders, and we've seen the total in this one shoot up. A common theme early on in the betting market this week, some overaction. This one opened up at 47.5, and and the total has now gone up to 50. Sumo, what do you make of that movement in Raiders-Saints?
1: I'm just opening the Saints schedule so far, and when we look at their past few games, Uh, 56 points Bengals, uh, 67 points Cardinals, uh, 71 points against the Seahawks, 53 against the Vikings. Those were the last four games where Andy Dalton has started and where the Saints defense has started somewhat to decline. And I think it's, it's a theme where I don't have a lot of counter arguments for why that should suddenly stop now. So why should, should, should the Saints defense suddenly be back to their Elite uh, 2029 level? Marshall Lennibor might be back, Paul St- Adibo might be back, I, but I, I, I'm not sure that two cornerbacks will fix the whole offense, especially when you uh, face a Raiders offense that has gotten progressively better as the season went on. Um Devontae Adams looks much better in a Raiders u- uniform now. They are um, um, basically creating ways to feed him the ball, especially on, on third downs when I remember right against the Texans. So I think on that side of the ball, the Raiders probably have a very favorable, favorable matchup. But on the other side, even though the Saints were banged up on offense, they consistently were able to somewhat move the ball. And there might be positive injury uh, news uh, like Jarvis Landry could be back. I think Michael Thomas, really fascinating injury story. I'm not sure whether we will see him again anytime soon. It, at least it doesn't really sound like that. Um, maybe I, I get proved wrong today and he um, suddenly practices, but I doubt it. And the way pass past defense has not been great so far this season. So, you are basically looking at a matchup that, on paper, favors both both offenses kind of. And even if it's a low-scoring environment, um, it probably made sense that uh, from 47 we rather saw uh, over money than under money. I mean, in past seasons like 2020, uh, with a much bigger scoring environment, this game would probably easily be above 51.
0: Moving on from a game that's seen one-way action on the total to a game that's seen one-way action on the side, Carolina-Atlanta, it's been all Panthers money so far. Panthers opened up as a six-point underdog, down to four-and-a-half-point underdog. And, Suma, I know Carolina beat Tampa Bay, and not just that, they beat Tampa Bay soundly last weekend. But in this one, do you get any sense that there might be a bit of an overreaction with Carolina getting this much love heading into a matchup in Atlanta on Sunday?
1: I would not say overreaction, because some people might say the number is probably right where it is now, uh, going from six. And, and I, I think um, you mentioned before the show that Chris was uh, Sam was at the opener. It got, it got, it, I think it got immediately pushed towards uh, six within one hour. And yeah, um, we also had a strong release from uh, our friend Adam Chernoff, who played the Pandas plus six. But I also think that he was not alone uh, because going, going into the week, it was probably very hard to install the Falcons as a six-point favorite with basically their full cornerback depth shot out of the formation this week. Like um, D. Alford, uh, AJ Terrell. Um, I mean, I also, I also think that they lost Jalen Hawkins, one of their starting safeties. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a chance that the Falcons could be without uh, three or four secondary starters. And from that point of view, Panthers, it's only one data point against the Bucks in probably one of the craziest upsets in recent history when you uh, think about the scoring margin at the end. But I don't think that I would upgrade the Panthers for that performance very much because it's... They basically played at their ceiling and the Bucks played at their bottom range of outcomes. So it's hard to really make a big upgrade for the Panthers. But the Falcons are also not a very great team so far. Their offense is playing much, much better than people anticipated. But they are still trying to win games by letting Mariota only drop back to pass 14 times. And that's usually not a long-term winning reside. And when you combine that with a terrible defense, that will get you in trouble. And bettors are saying, uh, no way this team should be able, uh, at, as a median outcome, to win by six or seven here.
0: Fair enough. Well, we've seen this one move a point and a half in Carolina's direction. And the next side I want to run by you has only moved half a point, but it might be just as meaningful as that point and a half move the Panthers have seen. And that would be Miami at Detroit. The Dolphins coming off to three, now a three and a half point favorite against the Lions. And I know that leading into the season, there was a lot of talk of restore the roar for Detroit. And I'm wondering, Suma, if it might be just about time to put that mantra into hibernation until next season.
1: It should be. It should be time. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, they had also incredible injury luck, uh, neg- negatively speaking. Eamon Ross, St. Brown, DJ Chark, Josh Reynolds, uh, some offensive line issues. They're losing buddies in their secondary. So I think someone can make the argument that they should get a small pass for that. But still, I mean, I think they are one in five. Uh, right now with their bye week, their defense is atrocious. They are probably I think the 32nd ranked defense. Their offense has been collapsing for several weeks now. I mean, (sighs) Restore the Raw probably cancelled for now and (laughs) we'll see how they do it against the Dolphins. I mean, the Dolphins closed minus 7 against the Steelers. Yes, it was at home, but now going on the road against a supposedly worse team, Laying only three early uh, on Monday and Tuesday, that probably brought battles to grab the flat three with Miami. Um, I think one of the major concerns in this game should be that Miami is losing like one body in their secondary every week. They lost Brandon Jones now. They are down to their um, to uh, Xavier uh, Xavier Howard and Noah Ipunogine, Uh on their cornerback depth chart and the rest are basically uh, seventh, seventh round rookies practice squad corners and so on. So that would probably be my major concern if I was a Dolphins better. But if you asked me minus three, where should it go? It, it was only one direction towards the Dolphins and not towards two and a half.
0: You touched on Detroit's defense being a pretty abysmal unit all around and Miami now struggling with some injuries in their secondary. Got to think those are two key factors driving some movement we've seen in the total in this game as well, up to 52 right now from an opener of 49.5. And And Suma, beyond the Miami secondary injuries and Detroit's defense all around struggling so far this season. Anything else that you think has betters early in the week looking pretty hard at an over in this one?
1: Yeah, I mean... Uh two offenses, so the Miami offense with Tua was very, very good. And you can make the case that the Lions were also very good pre-injuries. They are likely getting Amalouar, St. Brown back. Um, so with Miami being banged up in the secondary, I think there is a, a good case to be made for why this total has moved from uh, 49 and a half towards 52 in some places.
0: Got it. Well, sticking with two more AFC East teams that Miami will be perhaps keeping a bit of an eye on in the weeks to come, that would be the Patriots and your Jets, Zuma, staying on that surprising hot streak to start the season. And the side in this one between the Patriots and Jets seems pretty intriguing. New England opened at Pickham, and despite that Monday night debacle, they are currently a two-point road favorite at the Jets. And I know that last week, again, we saw the Jets winning cover. We saw the Patriots suffer a blowout loss despite being favored by more than a touchdown. I feel like a big factor in this one could be what the Patriots decide to do at quarterback. Suma, I'm wondering what read you have on who might start for New England and what impact that might have on the line in this one.
1: So, Bill Belichick today declined to, to give any comment on who the starting quarterback is going to be. Um, I can only guess. Um, my guess is that I would probably lean towards Mac Jones, but it's more like a 50-50 affair. Um, I'm not sure how much of a downgrade you can make from um, going, go, going from Mac Jones to, to Barry Zeppi. Because A, Bailey Zeppi has looked very good. B, he is not coming off a high ankle sprain. And C, Matt Patricia, for whatever reason, is calling a different offense for him. Like, when Mac Jones is, is in the lineup, it's more of a straight drop-back passing game. And as soon as Bailey Zeppi is in the game, they are all of a sudden calling wild wild play-action stuff. And I, I'm not sure why they are doing this, uh, doing this, why they are thinking that Mac Jones... Just because he might be the better quarterback, he also has has to execute a a difficult style of offense. I have no clue. But that's what we have seen so far. Bailey Zeppi, when he's in, I think he looks really, really good. Uh, He doesn't have a great arm, but he's really processing well, going through reads, being accurately, um, playing well against blitz. And also executing well when Patricia is calling play action, and this has been kind of a different offense when mm-hmm. Betty Zeppi is on the center. So right now, I mean, with all our priors on Mac Jones, I understand that people are saying Mac Jones is, is the better quarterback, but I would I would probably disagree with some of the or with 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 the delta that that some people would probably make this difference.
0: All that considered, once we get word on who's starting for New England, if it's Mac Jones, what do you make the number? And if it's Bailey Zappi, do you make the number any different? <sighs>
1: really, really tough to say. So I think I'm not sure that I would make a big upgrade for Mac Jones because there's still some injury uncertainty. His, his high ankle sprain was at a timeline of four to six weeks. And I think he had two or three lim- limited practices last week. So there's still the the chance that he's not back to a 100% mobility. And he probably will need this in this game against a decent Jets pass rush. Their center, David Andrews, might not be back. So I'm really not sure whether I would make a significant difference in the line for Mac Jones, especially with the way that Betty Zeppelin has played. Um, I think I would be surprised if this number went to pick him with with zeppi, and i can I can rather see this one going towards three once we know what the quarterback situation uh, will ultimately look like
0: and from one questionable quarterback situation to another, the late window Sunday don't ask me why this one's in the late window, but Tennessee taking on Houston. The saddest one has seen Texans money Houston from an opener of plus four got as low as plus one and a half. Now it seems to be settling in at plus two for the time being, but another big question mark, the Titans quarterback situation. Suma, what do you make of it? It sounds like Tannehill might be a go, but he might also be much less than a hundred percent after a a pretty rough injury. And he finished that game last week, but it, it might be a tough recovery for him on the road in this one.
1: We don't know what ankle sprain he has which grade it was, it was not a high high ankle sprain for sure, because he was going back into the game and there's zero chance you can go back into a game if you really have a high ankle sprain. So my best guess, I'm not a doctor at all, but just from experience, it looks like he has a minor ankle sprain, like a, a grade one kind of ankle sprain. And with that, he might absolutely play. We saw it with Daniel Jones against Green Bay in in London, who was supposed to have a significant ankle sprain, but was able to play next Sunday. I think in hindsight, it it was probably not as significant as it uh, was made initially, but he had an ankle sprain that's probably in the same range of Ryan Tannehill. And Ryan Tannehill is not like Daniel Jones, that he needs his legs to scramble too much or to run some designed uh, runs or something. So I think White-Hannehill, if he gets uh, three practices in and if he's declared to play, I think there is some uncertainty and you have to downgrade their their, their passing uh, offense to some degree. But I don't think it should be way too much here. And if he's good to play, I would not be surprised if we saw Titans money uh, coming into the market and this number – settling or going towards three until Sunday.
0: Surprisingly, after two games with some pretty big quarterback question marks, nothing to be questioned under center for this next game. The Giants <laughs> and the Seahawks, Daniel Jones and Geno Smith, getting it done so far this season. I know Jacob's been enjoying that thoroughly on the Giants side of things if they've yeah. gotten off to a oh, 6 yeah. and one start. Uh, Jacob, somehow the Giants the better record here, but the Seahawks, the first place team in what we thought might be a pretty competitive NFC West, excluding the preseason expectations for Seattle. Seahawks up to minus three in this one after opening as a two-point favorite. Uh, Jacob, let's give you a quick what's becoming a weekly victory lap with your Giants. And and yet, once again, the market opens at one number and sees money coming in against the Giants in the early stages of the betting week. I mean, I was talking actually Suma before we did this show, and every
2: Giants game, it seems like every single coin flip sort of decision, 50-50 or outcome, just seems to go the Giants' way right now. Uh, they're consistently putting themselves in positions where if that goes their way, they win the game. And that's why they've been winning games, because you know, they've had some comebacks, but they're typically a fourth-quarter team, and they still were against the Jaguars. But uh, I will take a victory lap. I, uh, I had a lot of great words to say about Daniel Jones on Props and Hops last week with Hitman. NFC Offensive Player of the Week. Daniel Jones. Who would have thought we would have had that coming into the season? So I'm enjoying it while we have it here. But keep doubting them. Keep doubting them. They love
1: it. Matt, please watch the background of Jacob. He got a Daniel Jones jersey.
0: <laughs> oh, we've got the new edition. Yeah.
1: To be fair, I Good had eye. this.
2: I had this before the Jaguars game. The five and one start had me going crazy. <laughs> I bought that before he uh, became NFC Offensive Player of the Week. I'll say
0: it again. So uh, I'm, uh, I am certainly bought into this team. <laughs> All right. Well, Jacob, we'll have to see on Friday if you have any thoughts on a Daniel Jones or any Giants props heading into this one when we reconvene with Hitman. For now, Suma, I want to see what you think about this game. Again, two surprise teams in the Giants and the Seahawks. Which one do you think might be more for real at this stage?
1: Who. I think when we look at all the underlying metrics, we we can just we, we can only point towards the Seahawks because they have a better passing attack, a more consistent passing attack. Geno Smith is really looking like I'm, I'm finding no words for this. He's really looking good. He, the scheme is working. He is taking shots down the field. Really playing accurately right now. Their run game is more like boom or bust, but as long as you can get all the explosives going with Kenneth Walker, that's still better than having no running game. So I think from that point of view, I would probably say Seahawks because it looks like they have the more consistent passing attack. And Gino can also get something going with his legs. But I also think that the the Giants are creating an environment where Daniel Jones doesn't have to be the greatest passer alive. And he can do a lot with his legs, scrambling, um, designed ones. Second Barkley is incredible this season. Um, Wendell Robinson is now back uh, to a larger role after his injury. So I think that the Giants in general have created a high floor for this offense where they can use Daniel Jones's um, uh, legs consistently. But I'm still questioning the long-term ceiling with that passing game. Because at some point... It won't be a one-score game in the fourth quarter. It might be a three-score game late in the third quarter, and then they they might have more issues coming back from that.
0: All right. Well, like Jacob said, keep on doubting them. And this next game, we're going to get to two teams that are really easy to doubt right now: Washington and Indianapolis. The side in this one has seen Washington take some money up from an opener of plus four. Down as low as plus two and a half. Now we're seeing it stabilize around three uh, on the underdog Washington. Plus three, minus 120. The Colts a cheap minus three. And this one probably driven by news around the Colts making a quarterback change of their own this week. Sumo, what are your thoughts on the change going from Matt Ryan to Sam Ellinger?
1: Tough one. Really, really tough one because Matt Ryan was so bad that I wonder how much of a downgrade – Sam Ellinger could be. I think I would not expect anything through the air, but I think Ellinger gives them a much higher floor because of all the stuff that we talked about with Daniel Jones. I think he had over 500 rushing attempts in college. Mm -hmm. He can run, so if the offensive line does not hold up again and there is going to be pressure, I think that um, Ellinger will have a lot more plays where he can survive, And get out of it and scramble for a new first down than Matt Ryan would have ever been able to. So I think their passing attack might look as worse as before, or as bad as before, but Ellinger might keep more drives alive just by his legs than Matt Ryan.
0: Yeah, and I might have butchered his name when I tossed it to you. I I think I gave him the Ellinger pronunciation, but if he can really play for this team the rest of the season, like it sounds like this move is made to be permanent, then I think we're all going to know the proper way to say it sooner rather than later. So we'll have to see what happens with Washington Indy, but there's a game in the late window that I think is a lot more palatable for viewers everywhere, and that could be an NFC West rematch from what we saw on Monday night a couple weeks ago. The 49ers traveling down the coast to take on the Rams. And the total in this one, again, recurring theme of the week. Seems like every total movement has been some pretty strong steam toward the over. This one, no exception. Currently at 43, up from 40 and a half. But Suma, it has trickled back down a bit recently. So we are starting to see some pushback toward the under. I feel like this still has been maybe one of the biggest over moves in a week full of over moves. And in a season with such a low scoring environment, why do you think that might be the case?
1: I think it is mostly driven by injuries. And back in, I think it was week four, when these two teams played, um, I don't have the closing total in front of me. Um, Let me quickly check. Total was 42. Mm -hmm. 42. It was 42 at close, and since then, the 49 defense has lost like four or five starters. So I think there is a case to be made that, okay, that game closed 42, and a few weeks later, we are dealing with a Niners defense that is mm-hmm. probably going from top three material towards maybe above average material with all their current injuries. And I think that that's what the adjustment was. 44 might've been a little bit too high. So some folks were coming back on on the key number of 44, bringing it to 43. But right now we are basically, basically looking at a total that is one point above the closer from week four with a defense that is significantly downgraded because of injuries. And the Rams are also getting Van Jefferson back this week.
0: All right, there we go. So some injuries on the defensive side, a little bit of an upgrade for the Rams offensively from an injury standpoint. So we'll see how this one shakes out. Again, any over just raises an antenna for me the way that unders have come through this season. But at a certain point, the market will definitely trend toward efficiency. And I'm interested in seeing how the market may be trending toward efficiency in the final game on the Week 8 slate, a Halloween edition of Monday Night Football pitting the Bengals against the Browns in Cleveland. And the side in this one, his favorite Cincinnati Bengals opened a three-point favorite. That's up to three and a half across the board. Suma, what do you make of the Bengals' offense specifically? I feel like ever since they went to almost exclusively the shotgun formation over the past couple of weeks, it's really unlocked much more of their potential. So do you see that fueling a lot of the upside for the Bengals in the eyes of the betting market in this matchup?
1: Yes, absolutely. So there might be a point during the season where defenses will kind of catch up to that. But right now they're doing a transformation on offense that really helps them raising the floor and getting much, much better and also uh, being more unpredictable. And the Browns defense is one of the worst in the league. And I think this will be a game where on Monday we are going to see lots of social media stuff about betting percentages, public versus sharps, Etc. Etc. Because um, it, it, this is a classic um, social media marketing. Ninety um, percent of the public is on mm-hmm. the Bengals or whatever. But I also think that it's hard to make a case for the Browns at three. We saw the move from three to three and a half. I think at three, it was a case for the Bengals because the Browns are not good, and they will be without David and Joko. And David Njoku has been arguably their their second most uh, or the, their second best receiving option after Amari Cooper. And after Njoku, it gets really thin when it comes to their receiving group. So yeah, Browns not good. downgrade great on offense. Bengals hot. It makes sense that this went from three to three and a half.
0: All right, and with that, we have completed our jaunt through the week eight slate, but we have a not-so-new segment anymore. The third week, we can roll this out to put a bow around everything here. Fabian's forecast. Some lines we may see some movement in but haven't discussed yet because we haven't seen major movement yet this week. And Suma, what are you anticipating specifically when it comes to a game we touched on from a total standpoint, but what about the side in San Francisco at
1: the Rams? So... I think that the injury situation will favor the Rams more than the Niners this week. Um, I mean, in week four, the Niners were completely outmatching the Rams on both sides of the ball. Maybe not so much on offense because they, when I remember right, the, the, the Niners offense couldn't get too much going. But the 49ers defense was absolutely feasting on Matthew Stafford and that offensive line. And this time... The Rams are coming off a bye week. So I think Sean McVay probably had two weeks to make some fixes to his offense. And the Niners will be without several key players. And those who are playing are banged up. Like last week, uh, Javerius Ward was not at, at 100%. Jimmy Ward was playing with a cast. Trent Williams coming off the high ankle sprain was not able to plant his foot and got uh, beat on a pass rush from Frank Clark for a safety late in the game. So uh, I think, and with the Rams getting Van Jefferson, potentially Brian Allen, their center, and Troy Hill, their slot cornerback, back this week, I think that there's going to be an injury report that likely favors the Rams a lot more. Debo Samuel Samuel also banged up. So I would not be surprised if on, on Sunday night we will look at the Rams being favorites here.
0: All right. Something to keep an eye on there from a side perspective and Sumo, one more thing I'll run by you as far as forecasting some potential betting value in the futures market. We talked about the arrow pointing up for the Bengals, and I'm giving a look at some Cincinnati futures right now, not only because of a more optimal scheme that Zach Taylor has pivoted to, but the offensive line seems to be finding its footing after a lot of new faces to start the season. They seem to be coming together more cohesively as a unit. Joe Burrow, after an appendectomy, really derailed his offseason prep, and he was recovering last season for a good chunk of the 2021 campaign from a torn ACL that ended his rookie season. Feels like Burrow is about as healthy as we've seen him in the NFL with the best supporting cast that he's had, running the best scheme that he's had. And for good measure, looking at the Bengals schedule through the end of November, not just the Browns matchup this coming Monday night where they are becoming a heavier favorite, but then they take on the Panthers. They've got their bye. Then they get the Steelers and the Titans. I feel like the Bengals are going to be pretty clear favorites for a while now. So this might be the time to strike if there is any value in the futures market. I'm seeing Super Bowl odds as good as 22 to 1. AFC odds as good as 12 to 1. Division odds as good as plus 180. And yes, to make the playoffs as good as minus 150, I feel like we might have the right time and the right handicap here, Suma. For any of those numbers, do you think we might also be looking at the right price to get in play on some Bengals futures?
1: Yeah. uh, Before the season, I liked the Bengals at 20, 22 to one to, to win the Super Bowl. Then going into the season, they really disappointed me and I thought I was completely wrong on them. But now they are starting to move into the right direction. So it's basically the same number as it was uh, in in preseason in August or or something. So, yeah, I absolutely agree. Probably a a decent price. And uh, right now it looks like the the path is there, combined with their offensive strength to at least reach the playoffs and at some point maybe lose against the Chiefs uh, or the Bills.
0: Yeah, the flying the ointment for a Super Bowl or AFC ticket would definitely seem to be Kansas City or Buffalo. But I feel like given their current trajectory at 22 to one and 12 to one, respectively, for the Super Bowl and the AFC, um, that payout might justify a bit of risk. But with the AFC being so wide open beyond Buffalo and Kansas City, yeah. feeling like Cincinnati's establishing itself as a pretty clear third best team in a conference that we thought was head and shoulders above the NFC entering the season.
1: Yeah, I think that's a very, very fair take uh, to make
0: all right well hopefully we can each offer up one more fair take here as we round the corner weaving in the hops i know that last week we started to talk about our drinking you know experiences we were looking forward to for the weekend ahead but maybe at this stage of the week you know it might be appropriate to look back and recap our best experiences from a drinking standpoint over the course of the past week and then on fridays jacob and i can continue to tee up what's on tap for the weekend in store so guys thinking back about the past week jacob let's go to you first. I know on the Friday episode of Props and Hops, it sounded like you had quite a heavy hitter in store for some UFC and NFL viewing throughout the weekend. So what would you say was your best drinking experience over this last week? Uh, well, on that Friday
2: Props and Hops show, I spoke about that super strong 10.5% beer. I had that, enjoyed a couple of those Friday night, which was nice. Uh, Saturday night was more so for UFC. Uh, it was unfortunately middle of the day, so uh, couldn't go fully into... Uh, I uh, couldn't dive into as many drinks I maybe would have usually done. And plus, uh, I, I worked during Toronto Raptors games, so I had that to worry about at night. But during the UFC, uh, while I watched some of the bets unfold, had some White Claws. So I'm looking for an easy, crushable one, just straight up go to the White Claws. And uh, that was probably the best experience, watching with a, with a bunch of
0: friends. Nice. From the triple IPAs to the White Claws, I feel like you got the full spectrum covered with your yeah. weekend right there. Yeah, and uh, maybe maybe dabble a little bit with some uh, ginger and rice as well. <laughs> Fair enough. Can't fault that look at all. I will go ahead and note that something I didn't really have on my radar last week when we connected for these shows ended up being a pretty spontaneous decision on Sunday afternoon to attend a sour beer event at Homage Brewing in the Chinatown neighborhood of downtown LA. And what made this event pretty cool was that the star of the show – was a variety of stone fruit by Masumoto Farms, which is a world-class farm uh, up in the central California area. Their peaches and nectarines are just known to be out of this world, and that translated into some world-class beer. But perhaps the best part, aside from the beer and being in a cool spot with some good company, catching up with some friends, I missed the second half of the Chargers Seahawks game. So when the Chargers no-showed, instead of yelling at my TV, I was in a much more fun social environment. So I will take that trade-off any day. Suma, how about you this past week?
1: Oh, yeah. I had quite a few beers. Um, and one was a, we pronounce it, Herfels, Um And it's from a small brewery in Dortmund. And it's kind of a golden red uh, beer. Uh, with some pieces of caramel, I would say. Hmm.
0: So is that like a, a little bit of, of sweetness to to balance things out there?
1: No, uh, yeah, yeah, but it's originally a a bitter beer.
0: Oh, I see. Wow, good combo. Yeah. All right. I've got to get out your way uh, before too long and get the authentic experience here. I feel like people advertise German beer and it's probably just a very Americanized take on a style that's much better and more authentic in your neck of the woods. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up. We've done a lot of market movement this week, a lot of good times this past week and beer for the three of us, hopefully more of that to come in the next few days. But as we start to wrap things up, want to make sure to let everybody know they can follow Suma on Twitter at Suma 810. That's S-U-U-M-A A eight one zero. You can also catch Suma across the Hammer Betting Network on primetime, a Sunday night football pregame and halftime live stream with Rob Pizzola. And don't miss his Monday article Every week at the Hammer, capturing the week that was in the NFL. You can also follow me on Twitter at MLandis18. That's M-L-A-N-D-E-S-1-8. And want to give everybody a quick programming note on our way out the door. Our schedule for this show next week, a bit up in the air. We won't be doing it at our regular Wednesday time. We're exploring possibly doing it on Thursday. Hope to have that confirmed as a programming note to come in the Friday edition of Props and Hops. So stay tuned for more on that front as far as Between the Lines is concerned for the week nine betting market. And one more time, Jacob and I will be right back here on Friday with Hitman for our Week 8 Prop Betting Breakdown. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and we will catch you again on Friday.